Blog Talk Radio. Icon, Granny Hawker, and Big Swing. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Attitude Era Live proudly brings to you another Monday night edition of the number one, at least in our minds, wrestling podcast on the internet. We have the Big Swing here live from Tampa, Florida, uh, as a little vacation segment. I mean, I'm doing some work down here, but I'm covering some NHL hockey playoffs, but the Lightning have disappointed me, so hasn't really been a good trip. But anyways, down here in Tampa, we've got the icon on, as usual, and everybody's favorite, Granny Holster here with us. And uh, it is the Raw Superstar Shakeup tonight. So for those of you any, uh, watching Raw, I won't spoil it until a little bit later on in the show, but... Um, been a pretty good raw so far, which I haven't been able to say very often lately. So that's good. Um, Icon, um, we got another big, big show here tonight. Three guests on with us. Uh, why don't you go on and tell us who that's going to be here tonight? Well, I'll tell you what. We have uh, Raven Cabano, uh, the founding father of the rock band Aerosmith. Uh, he was just recently featured on American Pickers. Uh, mm. They found the original tour van of Aerosmith. He's going to be on with us. We have Chris Chaos. He's going to bring the chaos to us. Uh, And we have Larry Hankin. And uh, he's uh, probably the greatest character actor in the history of Hollywood. He's been in many John Hughes movies. Uh, He's more famous for uh, being uh, Doobie in the movie uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And he was also in the movie Escape from Alcatraz, um, Clint Eastwood. So he's going to talk to us. Awesome. Um, fun times, fun times. And, and next week is going to be even bigger, too. So, uh, But we'll talk about that later. 
So awesome. And, and Granny, uh, you had a big event this weekend as well. Uh, oh, anybody who yeah, knows her yeah. on Facebook, um, you can go on and check those out. Um, again, she does a lot of wrestling stuff, wrestling with the cause and all that stuff that she's involved in. But uh, this one was uh, was a Moose Lodge event, right? Yep, yeah, we had our Moose Legion celebration in Springdale at our lodge this weekend. All the lodges from the state of Arkansas that are Moose Legion members comes to the different celebrations, and so we had a huge thing. And we had kind of a special event that we did Saturday night. Um, they nice. haven't done this event in quite some time. It's been several years since this has actually been done. They used to do this a long time ago pretty much a lot, but this is the first time I would say probably in 20 years that they actually did this event, and it was called a Miss Mini Moose Contest. Hmm. It's like a beauty pageant. And we had 17 contestants. My husband was one of the contestants. My son was supposed to be one of the contestants. However, he got sick Friday morning and he had a bad stomach bug and Luckily, he's okay. It wasn't nothing serious. wasn't heart related or anything bad like that. And um, but they had two competitions. They had a swimsuit competition and an evening gown competition. And guys, let me tell you, my husband's legs. I mean, you know, he didn't even wear pantyhose with his dress and his swimsuit. I tell you, he went the natural look. I mean. Wow. For 67 what? years old, that's has got some pretty good-looking legs, let me tell you. I was proud of my husband. Well, so. huh. that, that, did that, he that, shave his legs and everything, or, or did he, did he keep, no, keep all the no, hair? No, he, no, he doesn't. His legs are soft and smooth as a baby's butt. He has no hair on his uh-huh. legs. <laughs> you, you know what that reminds me of? Uh, there was a song back in uh, back in the '80s called "Where's the Dress," uh, and uh, 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 Mo Bentley, and uh, that's when they were making fun of uh, an artist by the name of uh, Boy George, and uh, the song yeah. was called "Where's the Dress." And actually, uh, yep. uh, Big Swing, I want you to try and find that song for next week, and we'll have her husband okay. listen. And uh, yeah, where's the dress? Well, well, well I can't, let, let me tell you something. Now, now, I know you would be old enough to remember this show. Big Swing wasn't, but you remember okay. the show Mama's Family with Vicki Lawrence. She played the character Thelma Harper. Yeah. You remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've, all, I've heard all, of it. My all-time, but... favorite, my all-time favorite show, Bubba Higgins well, was my well, favorite Well, the, the winner of our Miss Minnie Moose contest for the evening gown competition, he came out dressed up like in a house dress and a gray wig with curlers in his hair, and I told him, I said, Rick, you look like Thelma Harper from Mama's Family. And he said, well, that was the look I was going for. And he was actually our Miss Minnie Moose contest winner. You'll have to go check out the pictures on my page, Icon. They're they're pretty awesome. They're pretty funny. I mean. And then, uh, Big Swing, you'll have to to, uh, uh, pay close attention to the board because our first guest will be calling in at 15 after the hour. So... Yeah. Okay. So we'll have a good time um, with that, and uh, and of course, Granny's got wrestling for a cause this weekend coming up on the twentieth Saturday in Claremore, Oklahoma. Looking forward to that. Getting ready to get my son moved back to Springdale this week, so Granny's had a very busy 
has some very busy times coming up in the next few days. So. Hmm. Well, we uh, we all seem to be having uh, you know our busy uh, our busy times, and uh, you know. I mean, I'm always uh, busy. <laughs> Yeah, so am I, you know, working uh, two jobs and then, uh, you know, not having uh, free weekends because everybody else wants uh, me to do stuff. So, you know, but... Yeah, uh, but, but it's money, though, right? Yeah, but it's already spent, though. That's the thing. Hmm. You know, like that one song says, the FICA and the state, they make my paycheck look like a big mistake. You know, the tax man takes his before I see a cent, but what they don't get, I've already spent. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That was sing along with the icon. So, uh, <laughs> now between the jokes and the singing, hmm. look at, look out, America's Got Talent, because here comes the icon. You know. <laughs> And Big Swing and Granny Hulkster's not too far behind. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I have family down here, and they were watching um, the show The Voice. And uh, Icon, you know, they, they could always use some more talent on that show. Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you what. If a, if a, song, if a song called Pants on the Ground can be a big hit, so can I. Well, you forgot about extra large pants on the ground. Forgot to add that part. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm not extra large so anymore. I, so, <laughs> so tell me, Icon, um, is there any validity? You seem to be in with the wrestling circles here. There is some validity. Uh, I, I want to know if there's any validity anyway. Um, to this statement about uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey being unhappy after WrestleMania and uh, Sasha Banks being on the verge of quitting. Now, again, Bailey was on tonight. Banks was not. Um, Banks uh, apparently has unfollowed WWE in all aspects of WWE on Instagram and Twitter and started following the uh, AOE or whatever that the one that, um, that, uh, AEW. Yeah. The one that, um, he's good. The other guy's going to there. So that, uh, I don't know why I'm blanking that Dean Ambrose the one that Dean Ambrose is going to. So my thing is, I, I mean, I know that they won the belts, but I mean, sometimes belts shift. Sometimes people win matches, lose matches, whatever it may be. Um, is there any validity to this uh, Sasha Banks uh, demanding out of her WWE contract? Uh, well, I'll tell you this. Uh, from what I've heard from my sources, uh, it is uh, it is more – then uh, it is more than a paperweight uh, for its validity. Uh, so, yeah. So. Hmm. Well, I but, mean. You know, which, which, is, which is pretty sad, you know, but, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, well, I, I guess uh, you know you can kind of figure out there's there is a lot of wrestlers that are unhappy with the WWE. That's why they're all leaving in drones, you know. But you know the thing is, it's not like back in the day during the Attitude Era. Lot, sorry, uh, you see what I did there. It's not. It's I did see what like you did. Back in the day, 
during the Attitude Era, uh, when if you weren't happy with one company, you can go to another. It's not like that anymore because there is no real other company. Like, you know, it's not like WWF, WCW. Yeah, they can go to that other company, but they're not competing against the WWE. You see what I'm saying on that? Yeah, you true, go, true. So, but you, you ain't gonna get the exposure anymore. Hmm. Well, I mean, those things that I just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like, I feel like she's being kind of a whiny brat about this, if that is true. Uh, simply just because, I mean, like I said, people win belts, people lose belts. Um, and the fact that you're ready to, you know, quit, I, I, I mean, I mean, put it this way, put it this way. Okay. You got a chance. I, I now I know the AAF, the AAF has suspended operations. They're not a league uh, at the moment anymore, but let's just use them as an example. You got a chance to play in the NFL, but you choose the AAF. See what I'm saying? So it, it's like you got a chance to be on the biggest stage, the the highest wrestling stage that they that they make. Okay, I, I mean the the number one wrestling stage out there, and you're choosing to you know to give that up because you're unhappy about you know scripted storyline. I mean the fact that you've won the belt at all. Some people go their whole career and never win a belt. So I, I just. To me, it doesn't make a lot of sense for her. I mean, she can do what she wants. She's a grown woman. Um, but to me, it just it seems a little bit uh, like she's being a little bit more of a whiny brat than she needs to be about this. Well, you know, and that's true. It's like, you know, guys like you and I and Granny, I mean, we would kill to have a WWE contract. You know, and I wouldn't care how they, you know, I wouldn't care how they, uh, you know, scripted my storyline just to be there. Is is worth its weight in gold? I mean, I'm not I'm not a wrestler. I'm not a wrestler, and I wouldn't want to be, you know, a wrestler, obviously. Um, but to have a, you know, like a broadcasting contract with them uh, would be amazing. And you know, that's almost like put it this way: the, the the station affiliate that I work for is an ESPN station. That's almost like leaving an ESPN station to go to like some local station. You know, without the without the radio, without the the play, the radio play, and like for me, it's just like you you're almost willing, you're almost voluntarily putting yourself behind the eight ball. And you know, once you do something, if if you were to leave WWE with the way that she's leaving them, you know, with, with bad blood and unfollowing them and all that stuff, um, if you were to do that, and then try to come back later when it's not working out for you in AEW, they're not going to let you back. So I, I just, I, I understand why she's, why she's doing this. I really don't. Well, you know, it, it, it is, it is sad that she's doing that. It's sad when that anybody would leave the WWE. <clears throat> the only ones I wouldn't care if they left the WWE is Brock Lesnar. And, uh, well, Kevin he's gone. He's not, yeah, if they, but, okay. they were, uh, if they said they were leaving the WWE, fine, and be watching, uh, be watching the phones because our guest should be calling in. Well, they are on. I was right about to jump in and tell you that they're on here. All right. Well, yeah. If you so want to put them through, you want to go put them through? Okay. 
So I will put the first one through. Uh, I got to step aside here for one second, just do some NHL coverage, but I'm missing it. Oh, wait a minute. They they signed off. It was a 914 number. That's him. Hmm. Um, okay, hopefully he comes back on here in a minute. Well, anyways, continue the Sasha Banks conversation for a second. Um, well, it, it's, you know, if Kevin Owens and Brock Lesnar said they were leaving the WWE, I wouldn't care. But I like Sasha Banks, you know, and I don't really want to see her leave. But if she's got to go, you know, if she's going to be like that, let her go. Uh, either I guess call back or should I try calling him? Yes, they, they're, they're back on now. So, um, like I said, I'm going to step aside real quick. Uh, Get, get a couple of these scores updated for the NHL, but I'm gonna be listening. So I'm in the same. <clears throat> that, that's the beauty. Of, that's the beauty of the Tampa studio. Everything's all together. I don't have to jump studios. So I'm gonna do that real quick, and I'm gonna put them through. Do your thing, Mr. Icon. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle tonight, we dream on with the founding father of the greatest rock and roll group in the history of the business. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Raymond Tobano. Hey, hey. How are you? Thank you for what an introduction that is. I don't know if I'll be able to live up to that one, baby. Hi, it's Ray Tobano here, <laughs> and you're listening live to, to Attitude Era Live with his host, the icon, the big swing, and Granny Huckster. Fair to be with you guys. What's going on out there? How are you, sir? And I'm doing very off, well, my friend. We want to say how honored we are to have rock and roll legend with us tonight. Yeah. So uh, here's it's an honor to be here. Believe me, it's always a privilege to be able to speak to somebody, uh, you guys out there on the radio, and talk a little bit about some rock and roll and about how everything happened and what's going on. Well, here's what we do. After I give the uh, guests the introduction, we like them to give us a little background about themselves, and we uh, ask them some questions. So if you want to give us a little background about yourself, then we'll talk to you. Okay, well, the background is, is you know, uh, we, you know, we started the band in Boston after the band broke up and, uh, that we had in, uh, in Long Island. Stephen was a drummer. He decided he wanted to be a front man. We decided to move the band up to Boston because I had a shop up there. He went up and got Joe Perry and Tom Hamilton, came on down to Boston, and we started the band down there. That is awesome. Now, awesome. with... Uh, with uh, with being such a, you know, and I, forgive me for continuing to call you a legend because to me you are. And I that's all right. I don't mind. I don't mind. I don't mind the title. It's fun. <laughs> if, and I do apologize if I'm drooling over all over myself during this interview. But Aerosmith always be my favorite. Yeah. The first. Well, they're my favorite have, too, man. So we're we're in the same club. Everything's good. Now, what's interesting about uh, you being on is you're actually the second guest that we've had that have been on the show, American Pickers. Ah. And uh, what I'd like to ask you about real quick, but then we'll talk about Aerosmith. But what are we live like? now? Yes, we are. Oh, beautiful, man! Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, we have we have uh, we have ten thousand people downloading this right now as we speak. All right, man. So, what was it like being on the show with those guys? And Let me tell you something. That was like one, that was one. That was one. That was like better than when I was on the porn stars because I, the, the porn stars one was fun. But the, uh, but uh, Mike and uh, and Frank are such nice guys, and uh, we went out there and we you know and we just, you know I, I told them about the van and what's happening. We, we went in there and uh, 
You know, mm-hmm. I saw it for the first time with them, and we, you know, we took a look at it, and I had a picture on my phone of myself in the van in 1970 when we were uh, in the that was in the book in the uh, Walk This Way book. So I went into the van and I sat in the same spot I was in that picture, and I looked up at the ceiling, and and there it was, there was the rug hanging from the ceiling. I said, "Yep, this is it, buddy." And uh, it was it was really a big thrill, man. I said, but the biggest thrill was this. After they you know, after the, they took the van and they decided to become the caretakers of the van and they brought it out to Indiana, they fixed it all up. I got a call from a fellow named Mike Mike uh, Moffitt, and he's the one who actually did the work on the van. And uh, he you know we went over a bunch of stuff and he questioned me about a lot of things in the van so we could authenticate it as best as we could. And I happened to have the original license plate off the back of the van. So I sent it out to them in Indiana, and they, they, they took it off, and they put it on the van. They even took a little decal sticker. from, uh, from it, was a, it was an Ohio plate because the fellow that was driving the van, uh, Mark, Mark Lehman, he was in college at the time when he bought that van, and he brought it to New Hampshire. So it had the, it had the uh, 1970 uh, Ohio plate on it. So they put it on the van, and then uh, when uh, Stephen so generously uh, brought me out to uh, opening night in Las Vegas two weeks ago, and uh, I saw the van for the first time restored. I, I was by, you know, they let me into the into the lobby by myself, and I, I sat inside the van. I looked around, and I, I, I like I was I was like I got really emotional. I had to, I had to, I had to get out of the van for a minute. It just brought back so many memories. But the job that they did on that van, it, it, it's just amazing. But you know they incorporated it into into the show. I don't know if you've seen the show yet, the residency. Yes, I did. Yeah, they incorporated the whole thing at the van into the show, and and, uh, and I was out in the lobby opening night, and uh, the crew was out there from uh, from American Pickers, and they recognized me, and I came back there, and I I said a few words, in, you know, into the camera about Mike and what a great job he did, and then a bunch of people recognized me, and I got bum rushed a little bit, and I was like, I got my 15 mm-hmm. minutes, it was great, I was signing autograph and taking pictures, and uh, it was really really a cool thing. I I got to tell you that that whole thing, it just it just the way it happened. It was just, a, it was just the weirdest thing the way it happened. It just came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you know, forty years later, hey uh, Ray, listen, we uh, we heard there's a van up in uh, up in the woods, and they said that uh, that it's the Aerosmith van. Can you come up here and take a look at it? You know, and I, I said, I said for real. He said, Yeah, for real. I said, ah, What the hell? I'm close by. I'm gonna come over there. And I came over, and then it just was like it was like magic. It just like, you know, like when you, when you it was like a movie. It was like somebody wrote a script. You know, kind of like going, kind of like going and all of a sudden, I'm in the movie now. <laughs> That's what happened. Uh, Raymond, uh, Raymond is our guest here. We got about uh, 22 minutes here left with you. Uh, well, you know, Raymond, um, those shows. It's funny you mention it because I mean, I watch American Pickers all the time, um, and uh, sometimes those shows aren't what they're cracked out to be. Like, so for example. Uh, again, I've never seen it, but I've heard stories that shows like, you know, Wicked Tuna, for example, um, sometimes are shot in front of a green screen. They're not really out there doing the stuff. Nah, nah, um, we were out in the woods, man. The, it was freezing cold. The wind was blowing. We were there, baby. <laughs> well, I was just saying the, the authenticity of that show, what you're seeing on the screen is what they're really doing. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Okay. Well, that's good, because I love that show, and I didn't want to be disappointed if they weren't, you know? Nah, no, nah, man, that, that was a real yeah, thing, good. man. That was a real thing. What happened good, was good. When, we, when we saw the van at first, and I said, hey, guys, you know what? I don't even got to go in there. I know that's the van. I took one look at it. So I said, I said, I tell you what, why don't you do this, man? You want me to authenticate? Oh. And, and look at it. But I, I didn't even have to go in there and do that. 
as soon as I saw it, I knew it was the van. It, it, you know, it, it, because it, there's not two of those. There's not two of those anywhere. But it, now, that was that whole they, thing uh, was real. When they restored it, did, now do you, did they give it back to you guys, or did they? Yeah, the band it? has it now. The band has it now. They, what they did was listen, Mike and 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 Frank and and the American Pickers organization. They did a really solid to the band. They made. You watch the episode with Brad and his son. When when Brad goes to see it for the first time and and, and uh, take note of what Brad tells uh, Frank and and and, and the guy, the, he's talking to Mike Moffat, the guy that did, that that restored it there, not Mike, uh, you know, not Mike and, and Frank. He's talking to Mike Moffat that restored it, and uh, you know because they bought it back and and they and uh, the Pickers did a really really nice thing. They didn't they they just charged them for the you know for the parts. You know they didn't charge them for the labor, and the band gave them a little bonus for it. It was it was listen, it was like a really cosmic thing. That's that's the only way I can explain it. It was a real cosmic thing. Everything was like really, really cool. And 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 if you were out there and you saw that van, you got you got to believe, man. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, I hear you. And I bet it probably did bring back a lot of memories too. Yeah. It's cool that somebody had it and had kept it, you know, somewhat restorable. You know, that that's pretty cool. Well, what happened was the guy had left it. He left it up in the woods for a long, long time. And those guys, they did a magnificent job. It's, it's like a miracle what they did. I mean, you turned. Stephen was in tears, man, because he he turned the key and the thing started. <laughs> wow. they, were the, they were laying in the woods for four, like 35 years. Turn the key and the thing started. I mean, that's a testament to the kind of the kind of love that they put into into, make, into restoring that. You know, I talked to Mike a bunch of times, Mike and Frank, and I talked to them a bunch of times. And uh, their whole thing was that they wanted to be as authentic as they could. So we didn't do one of these things where we, you know we turned it into a hot rod. They made it look the way it looked like when we had it. Uh, Raymond Sabano is our guest here. we got about uh, 20 minutes left here uh, with you, Raymond. Now, I want to ask you a few questions about Aerosmith, then uh, we'll go around the room, then we'll let Granny and because uh, uh, I know that she had a couple Granny of- Huckster, you're talking about? Granny Huckster there? Huckster, yeah. yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Hi, Granny. How you doing, baby? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, uh, we, had, we had a roadie in, in our organization way back when, when I was in the band, and his name was Granny. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> oh yeah, she, uh, we, got, we got a connection already. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she used to listen to you on eight track. Uh, 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 now wait a minute, Icon. I now I'm 56 years old. Okay, I'm proud of my age. I'm 56. Oh, man, you're a youngster, old, man. So you're a youngster, man. Yes, I am. No doubt about it. So uh, so Raymond, she's about 20 years older than you. Yeah, about 20 years older than me. In my mind. <laughs> In my oh, mind, 27. You know, it's funny, Icon, sometimes there's these ironic things that happen on the days, and honestly, with everything I got going on with, you know, the ESPN station and with the hockey coverage and stuff, my mind wasn't really necessarily on it until about an hour and a half before the show, but earlier today, you know, I'm driving, I got the rent-a-car and all that, and, um, you know, driving down here in Tampa, trying to navigate through the traffic, and um, I'm hearing, I, I hear Love in an Elevator by Aerosmith come on, and Completely forgot we had Raymond on tonight, and, I, and now I'm thinking about it. I go, you know, I haven't heard an Aerosmith song on Terrestrial Radio, and I mean, of course I listen to different stations, but um, I haven't heard an Aerosmith song on Terrestrial Radio uh, in a long time. And to hear that today, and now I'll be talking to him, is actually pretty cool. It's one of those ironic. There, there's the magic. Yeah, I, was just, I was just, I was just down in Tampa in January. I went to the uh, Gasparilla fe- Festival. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, but up in Ebor, yeah. Yeah, it was outrageous. We had a great time. Had a great time. As a uh, matter of fact, I did cool. I did an yeah. interview with uh, with Ronnie with Ronnie D. You know you know Ronnie okay. D. Yep, I do. Oh, of course, I know. Yeah, Ronnie D. He's he's cool, dude. He's a cool guy. Yeah, I, I, no did an, I did an interview with him when I was down there. 
Uh, well, we have uh, Raymond, <laughs> Raymond Tabano is our guest here. Uh, I, I have I have two Aerosmith questions for you. Then we'll uh, then we'll go around the room. First off, what is it like uh, uh, having a roller coaster in Disney World named after you guys, Aerosmith's Rock and Roller Coaster? That's question one. And two, what is it like having your song at the end of the movie Miracle, Dream On? What what what, what is that like? Your legacy. You know, it's like so funny when I, I, I was with Stephen last week and they have a little museum set up. Did you go to the museum at the uh, at, at the MGM Park? Yes. It, yeah, OK. I was walking around with him looking at that stuff. I was playing the pinball machine and I'm looking at him saying, man, look how far you have come, man. It, 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 it's just it's just listen, when we were kids, when we were 13 years. I met Stephen. I was 12 years old. When we were kids and we used to hunt and trap in the woods, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and we'd listen to the Beatles, you know, when, when they first came out, and the Rolling Stones were like flooring us, and you know, all those bands uh, from, uh, from 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 the British Invasion. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a show now called the British Invasion Show. I'll tell you a little bit about it later, but uh, we never thought, you know, when we wanted to start a band, we yeah, we want to be, we want to rock and roll, we want to, you know, have the girls, you know, and play and play and do all that stuff. Nobody ever thought it was going to go this far. You know what I'm saying? And, and so that, that whole thing with the roller coaster and, and the residency, it's like, it is like, a, you know, like and a magnificent dream come true. It's just amazing. I mean, they're everywhere. I turn on the radio. I go to the movies. You know, they're everywhere. It's just, it just, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like sometimes like, you know, I, I think it's like I got to pinch myself. It's like a dream. It, it, does it sometimes have that surreal feeling? Absolutely. Listen, when I, when I went to the, saw the re, when I was at the residency, I sat out and I watched the show, and watched what was going on, and I was thinking about because I was just I was just in the van about an hour before that, and I'm thinking about we're in the van. There's six of us. We're driving up to up to uh, up to New Hampshire, from you know from from Boston. We're driving up to New Hampshire with six of us. We're getting paid 125 dollars. You know, we're gonna do three sets, <laughs> and then we're gonna drive back home. You know, and we'll make about maybe ten bucks a piece because we got to pay for gas and tolls and food and and gas and all that other stuff. And then I look at I'm looking at what's going on in Vegas. And I'm going, oh my God, this you know, it's like it's just amazing what you know. It's it's very hard to describe. You know what I'm saying? Because it just it just turned into this huge, beautiful thing. Now, now this next question might be uh, kind of forward, but. I'm going to ask it anyway, and I'll I will understand for you turning me down when I ask this question. But yeah. do you think that you would be able to hook us up with Steven Tyler, my no, hero? You know, let me tell you something. When I was in Vegas, he was so crazy. My wife never even got to see him. <coughs> really? and, he, and he and he loves my wife. It's just it's just a, it's just a nutty thing, man. You know, you got to be in the right time at the right place, man. Okay, that's how it happens. So. Uh, Granny, what, what do you got for our guest, Raymond uh, Tabana? Well, first of all, it is a true honor to have you on our show, sir. And, you know, um, my Granny Hulkster nickname, I'm, like I said, I'm not a wrestler. I just, I was given this nickname because I love to watch wrestling. But I loved the episodes of American Pickers and Pawn Stars because I love to watch those two shows. Uh. So what it was what was it like um on Pawn Stars to meet, you know, Rick Harrison there, you, you know, know on Pawn that Stars. Thing, I, I, I love that show. Listen, let me tell you, Granny, the whole thing was like a joke. Because I, I, every, every, my wife and I, 
We go out to uh, Vegas every every uh, Valentine's Day. She used to work mm-hmm. for the guy that runs the Venetian Hotel Group. So we go out mm-hmm. there and they give us a nice room every year. And we you know and we go out for you know for Valentine's Day and we go out for breakfast in Paris and we sing breakfast in Paris and we you know have a great time and we go to all the shows out there. So the, about three, four, five years ago, I can't remember exactly when, she goes, she goes, well, I want to go do this. I said, okay. So I tell, I took her to do something. She goes, now what do you want to do? I said, I want to go over to the porn, to the porn shop. She goes, what? I said, yeah, I love that show. Let's go over there. So on the, I just walked over and knocked on the door. Told him they said there was a line outside down the block. I said, this is the line to get in. He goes, yeah, unless you got something to sell. I said, yeah, I got something to sell. So I walked inside. I talked to somebody. I left them my card. I left them one of my albums. I said, hey, you know, I was a I wanted one of the guys that started the Aerosmith band. I got some stuff they want to sell. And I gave him my card, and 15 minutes later, they called me up, and I set an appointment up with him, and then uh, we talked about it, and I talked to the people in New York, and I sent them some stuff, and we went back and forth, and then uh, I went and did the show, <laughs> which was like the funniest thing. I, I just went in there to, you know, to look around and see what was going on in there, and the next thing you know, I'm in the back room with, uh, with, uh, with Rick and his son, and the old man was alive at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, chum, and we're back there talking a little bit, and then we went out and we did the film. It was great. <laughs> what what was, was it awesome. like dealing with Chumley? Was that? What was it like dealing with Chumley? It was. Yeah, he's a funny guy, man. You know, he's like you know, he's like he's like you know, he's a star. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm actually I'm actually going to be going to Las Vegas in June for a convention. I mean, I won't have time to see a lot of Vegas, unfortunately, but. That'll be my first time ever going to Las Vegas, so you know. But I'm like, so I'm going for a big um, convention, you know. So I'm probably not going to have a lot of time to to see much of Vegas. But um, so I just like There's a lot that, happening. I Every just, time I go out, there, I go to I go to all the shows. We go out to dinner, you know. We we sit in front of a slot machine with twenty dollars and we laugh, you know. We play the penny machines and laugh and have a good time. It's just a wonderful place to go. Like a little playground, but uh, you know, we went out special. Like I said, Stephen uh, was very generous and got me a beautiful room in the hotel, and you know, uh, we just we had a great time. That's awesome. It was awesome. Anybody want to talk about how the band started? Yeah, yeah, sure. um, yeah, yeah it, it is. is. Raymond it is really. with us. We got about uh, we got about uh, twelve minutes here left with uh, Raymond. Uh, we'll probably extend a little bit into our next guest, but go ahead. That's fine. Oh, Tell well, definitely. I, I mean, I got essentially that's how radio works. I mean, we we have until the next caller calls in. We have like one commercial and then it's into it. But I mean, sometimes the next caller is late. You know, like we've had we've had guys like we got eight minutes left with you and a half hour later. We're still talking to them. You never know. So, yeah, hit us with um, hit us with the band, uh, how it all got started. And uh Take us down the road of, of the legend of Aerosmith. So, so here's what happened, okay? So when we were kids, okay, you know, Stephen's father was, you know, the uh, music director at, at, at Cardinal Spelman High School and has a classical background. So Stephen was brought up, you know, he, you know, he's trained. He knows what he's doing. He's got a great ear and he knows what's happening. So when we were, when we were in, in junior high school, we had a little band together. And then he went on with some other band and these guys, like we know, they did all the great harmonies. They did all the Beatles stuff, you know, and, and, and the Beach Boys and stuff like that. You know, me, me, me and my band, you know, we really couldn't play that well. So we played a lot of Rolling Stone stuff. You know, we dressed really scruffy, you know, and it was like that. And then everybody grew up. So everybody in my band, a lot of them had to go to school. You understand? Their parents, you ain't going to be no rock and roll. Right? You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a dentist. You're going to be a doctor. You know? You're going to be an accountant. So the only people who were left were me and Stephen and this guy, Don Solomon. So we formed a band, and we called it the uh, the William Proud Band. Stephen came up with that name. I don't know where it was. And some fellow from New Hampshire named Dwight Ferrin. And we were playing out in Long Island, and uh, Stephen was the drummer at the time. 
And he told Don, I don't want to be the drummer anymore. I want to be the front man. Don goes, no, you can't be the front man because they will have to hire somebody else. We're not making enough money. Stephen goes, I don't care. I, I don't want to be the drummer anymore. I want to be up front. I want to be in front of the stage. So I said, hey, Stephen, you know what? My you know, my girlfriend and I, we, we were going to move up to Boston. I was in the start of leather shop. I already rented a, a, a building for storefront up on Newberry Street. I said, Stephen, remember that guy you told me about, that guy Joe Perry? You said you met in New Hampshire, that crazy rock and roll guy? He goes, yeah. I said, well, I said, well why don't you do this, man? Go up and get him. I'll go up to Boston, come down to Boston, and we'll start, we'll start the new band there. He goes, great idea. So he went up to New Hampshire. He got Tom and, and Joe. He got Joe, and Joe said, well, Tom's coming with me because their drummer, Pudge, that was in the, in the jam band, his parents said, no, 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 you're not going to rock and roll. You're, you're going to school. The same thing that happened to us down here. So he came down with Joe and Tom and, and Steve came down to Boston with, uh, with, with Mark in the, in the van. They came down to Boston. They got the room there, and uh, I had opened my shop. So we were, we were starting the rehearsal. We didn't have a drummer at the time. Stephen was playing drums. Joe Perry's mother knew somebody at BU, BU, BU uh, College, and they gave us a room to let us practice down there. And then one day, Joey Kramer came walking in my store. Now, I had known Joey because he's, he was in a band of the younger brother of a guy I was in a band with, with. This guy, Henry Schneiderman, we had a band called the Dantes. And Henry's brother, Barry, had a band, and Joey was the drummer in that band. So I had met him. A couple of times, you know, but, you know, we were like 15 and 16 and they were like you know, 13 and 14. So at that age, you really don't communicate with each other because we're cool and you're young. But he came walking in my store and I remember he had a pack of camels. He goes, hey, Ray, I brought your pack of camels. I said, OK, thank you. I said, what's going on? He goes, uh, I heard you guys are starting a band with Steven. I said, yes, we are. He goes, you think you can get me an audition? I said, absolutely. Why not, man? I told him where to go. And uh, he showed up the next day at the re at the rehearsal. And uh, that's how the band started, it, just like that. As a matter of fact, when they did the residency and Joey had his 15 minutes on the, uh, on, on the video, he was gracious enough to mention that whole story. And he mentioned me by name. Wow. Which I was very heartfelt. It was very nice to be, to be in a theater in Las Vegas and have Joey Kramer say, yeah, my friend Raymond brought me to the band. That was a pretty cool now, thing. Do you, remember the, do you remember the day you went into the studio for the first time to your to, to cut your first single? Do you remember the, the well, year, the day, and the month? Well, what happened was this. Right, 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 right after the first year and a half, uh, you know, we, were, we were, like, struggling. We weren't doing it. I was, my, my shop was, like, you know, I was struggling with my shop. You know, we were struggling with a lot of stuff, with a lot of demons and stuff. And um, I decided that I didn't want to do it anymore. And I sold my shop, and I went to Mexico for a couple of months. Then I came back, and I moved up to Maine. I left the band, and that's when uh, and that's when uh, Brad came in. And the funny thing is, Brad came out of a band called Just in Time. That guy Twitty that, that I was playing with Stephen in, in the band before. And when I came back, I wanted to play music again. I went into the band that Brad was in. We kind of like switched bands, and we even opened up for Aerosmith one time, <laughs> which is pretty pretty funny. And then uh, I, I I I left that band and. Uh, I went back to work. Stephen called me up and said, listen, Ray, you got to come back and work for the band again. you got to come back. I want you to come back to the band. I said, well, I'm not going to play anymore. I'm, I'm not playing anymore. He goes, well, come back and work for the band anyway. So I came back. I started working for the band. I built a warehouse for them. We had a you know, the recording studio and our, and our rehearsal facility. I started the merchandise company. I started the fan club. And uh, I, I kind of worked behind the scenes with them. It was a pretty cool thing. I spent about eight years doing that with them. I toured, and, I toured uh, with them, you know, all so I really wasn't around when they recorded their first album. I was up in Maine uh, growing pot and string beans. Medical, right? Yeah, it was for medical reasons. 
because I'm right, I have I have, I have, I have a mental con- I have a mental condition. I need a pot, you know, to help me out. <laughs> uh, or uh, or you uh, or you had some hearing loss that you wanted to try and cure. Right? That's it. I was, I, it was for medical reasons only. Absolutely, but, that, but that, that's the whole story. So I, I wasn't around, but I, I you know, I, I was at a bunch of recording sessions with them. You know, I was uh, when they, when they recorded the uh, what do you call? It? I, I don't want to miss a thing. They were, I was in New York when they did that. Their first number one single. I was there for that one. I was there when I was there when Jack Douglas came. I was I was with the band when Jack Douglas came uh, and recorded the uh, the Toys in the Attic album. I was there for that whole that whole that whole thing, nice. which is which is basically the album that that made it for them. The first two albums really didn't go that far, but that Toys in the Attic album, that was the one that did it, man. That, that We took off after that. You know, and well, here's the you know, story. I don't, know, I don't know if you knew this story or not, but uh, don't want to miss a thing. Uh, originally, uh, Steven Tyler didn't want to sing it for the movie Armageddon until he saw his daughter in the studio with his hand on the screen going, That's my father! That was amazing the way the whole thing happened. I really, that really would you know, listen. That's why I say this whole Aerosmith story is like, is like you, you can't, you couldn't write a story like that. You know what I'm saying? You, you couldn't even write it because you know sometimes you know, uh, you know, fact is stranger than fiction, and, uh, and and just the whole fact that his daughter, you know, wound up in the same movie where they had their first hit single, their first number one single. It's a pretty amazing thing if you think about it. But you know what's funny? I actually got a lot of uh, I actually got a lot of action to um, don't want to miss a thing. I when I was in when I was in eighth grade I'm, I'm dating myself here, but when I was in eighth grade, um, all of the middle school dances, uh, you know how they always end the night with the slow song, you know to kind of do whatever. And don't want to miss a thing was the song that they would always play to end the dance, you know. And, and you pick somebody to slow song, you know, slow dance with them, and you get their number. And back in the days of, you know. Hey, you want to call my house? Uh, maybe if my mom answers, you know, that can't, this was back before cell phones, but um, that that was the that was the song, and uh, yeah, a lot of cool, they got right? a lot of uh, middle school girlfriends to that song. So Listen, the, <laughs> was, the whole the whole, the whole thing the whole thing is is that Stephen came up with that whole song of Dream On out of nowhere, and look what and look and look look at the dream that he that that that, that he brought to life. Just, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about don't want to miss a thing. That's what I'm talking about, but. Yeah. yeah, for me it was don't want to miss a thing. That was the one I'm talking about. But Dream On is yeah, great I know. too. I know what you're talking about. I'm just the, saying okay, that, that, yeah, the thing. Oh well, they're all great. I mean, every Aerosmith song. I don't think I've heard a bad Aerosmith song. But you know, it, one thing I wanted to ask though, I, I was wondering about the validity of of those TV shows, but also the movies. As you know, uh, they're running out of ideas creatively for for movies nowadays in Hollywood. So they're, they're making a lot of Stories of rock bands. They just had the Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen one, come out. They've had that was a great, know, movie. That movie was a great movie. I did see it, yes. And uh, they've had you know movies about different bands throughout the era. Uh, is there an Aerosmith movie that's going to be coming out like that? And would you well, want I'm telling you, they've done everything else. I'm sure. I'm sure. Listen, I I don't know the actual inside stuff what's going on with that, but my guess oh, okay. would be yes. <laughs> my guess would be that there's something's going to happen. And that, uh, that Raymond, if guess. they if they do call you. And they do call you and ask you to be in the movie. Let them know that your friend, the icon, would love to be an extra in that. I'll be the guy that carries the bags or something. Okay, I'll, I'll probably wind up being a chauffeur or a bartender. Who knows? <laughs> now, Who knows, uh, speaking of that, Raymond, uh, do you think uh, 
you know, uh, and like I say, I don't want to sound too forward again, but if uh, do you think you might be able to send us a few autographs for giveaways for our big December show that we got coming up? Yeah, in do me a month? favor. Just text me over on, on you know, when you all the information. Meanwhile, I want I want to plug I want to plug my, my, myself a little bit here. I'm doing sure, a show. Uh, real quick here. Uh, okay. Real quick here. Uh, okay. Uh, Raymond Tavano is our guest here. Now, if our friends wanted to check you out in your next event, uh, do you got a Facebook, you got an Instagram, you got a Twitter, you got a YouTube? What do you got? I got it all. So here's what you do. You go to crazyraymond.net. That's my website. Uh, or you can go Crazy to Raymond, Raymond okay. on Facebook. But crazyraymond.net has my, it's my website. And I'm doing a show called The British Invasion Show. And what we're doing is the concept of the show is these are the bands between 1963 and 1966 that influenced myself, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, and Tom Hamilton, and Joey Kramer. These are the bands that influenced us to make the music that you know is Aerosmith today. And we do, I do a whole little video thing in the beginning, and uh, Steven's in it, and Joe's in it, and I'm in it, and we talk, I talk about how all the bands we were in beforehand, a lot of pictures and videos and stuff, and then we do, uh, we do uh, 20 different, uh, 22 songs of uh, 15 bands from, the, from 1963 to 1966. We do the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the Kinks, the Dave Clark Five, the Hermits, Hermits. We do, uh, you know, Procol Harum. We do, uh, you know, Moody Blues. We do uh, the, the, the Zombies. You know, we do uh, them. We do, you know, we do uh, the, the Yardbirds. We do a Spencer Davis Group. So it's a really great show, and you can look it up at uh, www.crazyraymond.net. You know, speaking you know, of uh, Herman's Hermits, you know, I, I saw I saw Peter Noon. Uh, he was here in Fargo at the Blue Stem Theater. And I'll tell you what, that guy, uh, you'd never know how old he was, the way that he still bounces around stage the way yeah. he does. You know, and, and the you thing know? is this, I, I talk a little bit about all the bands that were playing, you know, you know how many hits they had and, you know, how many. I mean, like, listen, the Dave Clark Five, they were on, they were on Ed Sullivan 18 times. The Beatles had, like, 22 you know, top, you know, top singles, you know, in, in top ten singles in, in, in the nine years that they were out there doing that stuff. And it's just amazing stuff, man. And, and I get to play all the music that, 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 that made me want to play in the first place. It's a great little show. And, uh, you know, and uh, I, got, I, got the, I got Stephen and Joe's blessing because uh, they let me use their images on the whole thing. And uh, I tell a whole little story just the way they do it at, at, at the residency where each guy in the band gets to, to show pictures of himself when he was a kid and the bands he was in and talks about his life a little bit. I tell the story of how myself, Stephen, mm-hmm. Joe, Tom, and Brad, and, uh, and Joey, how, you know, what influenced us to come up with the whole idea that, uh, which turned into Aerosmith. Uh, I just I just got to ask real quick because you know you mentioned Rolling Rolling Stones and the Beatles. What is your favorite Beatles song and your favorite Rolling Stones song? Okay, I'm going to tell you the and I played a song in my set. This is a song that made me want to play rock and roll. I was 15 years old. I was working in a bowling store, drilling bowling balls and making trophies. And doing and doing you know bowling shirts. That's why I got into the merchandise business. I learned how to make bowling shirts. And the guy comes on. He goes, We have a new song. From this group from England, they call themselves the Rolling Stones, ha, ha, ha. And uh, just take a listen to this one, and It's All Over Now came on. Oh, I heard that song. song. And I, I heard that song, It's All Over Now, and, and that made me. And then I saw them on Ed Sullivan playing that song with Brian Jones with his teardrop guitar. And I said, damn, I want to be a rock and roller. That's the song that did it for me. The Beatles songs. I mean, there's so many of them. They're, they're all great songs. But one of the songs that I do in my set that really moves me is John Lennon, In My Life. I play that song yes. on an acoustic guitar Beautiful on stage. Song. 
I love that song. I play that song on stage live with with acoustic guitar, and my band backing me up, and it's just a great. I, I, I get I get emotional every time I sing that song. But in the meantime, no, and, I want you guys to go on on Rhapsody or Spotify and look up Crazy Raymond and play some of my music tonight. All my music is on the, on Rhapsody and and Spotify and the iTunes. Well, I'll tell you what we will uh, we will uh, do that. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll we'll download a few songs and uh, we'll use those as our out songs. For the next couple weeks, with your permission, in your but of course, man, of course. So what I want you to do is I want you to text over all the information you want me to send to you, and what you'd like, I'll send you some autographed pictures. I will send you a picture of me with the original band, all signed by the whole band, and I'll write something else on it for you from from me. Oh, uh, that would be awesome, sir. Uh, Raymond Tabana is our guest, and uh, you know. I know I'm doing all over myself, and I my fans, uh, our fans that are listening to the show knew this was coming. But, you know, I'll tell you what, sir, when it comes to rock and roll, you are a god. You're a legend. And uh, if we didn't scare you away too bad. Uh, yeah, it's I, all cool, man. The icon, the big swing, and Granny Huckster. It's actually Hulkster. It's actually It's actually Hulkster. I don't have my glasses on. That's okay. No, I'm reading it without my glasses. And I put up there, and there's Granny Hulkster. <laughs> all right, so Raymond, good, you have a good night, man. You're awesome. Hey, God Thank bless you, you all, so man. Much, Thanks sir. for having me on your Thanks show. For I love you guys, man. Don't forget to send me all the information, all right? You got it. Remember, dream on. Dream on, baby. All right, good night. I don't want to miss a thing. Oh, yeah, man. dream on, for sure. Dream on, brother. We'll see you later, man. Take care. Thanks, bud. Raymond Tabano, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, now, you guys, let me ask you this before. I know our next guest is on, but we'll bring him on. I'll introduce him in a second, but. Now, this is an ego question for both of you guys, okay? How many internet podcasts, wrestling podcasts, have guests like I get? How many? None. None that I know of. He's got a point. I was, I, I, I was kind of hoping for a more rousing rendition there, but... Uh, well, uh, you guys don't want to <laughs> well, I mean, no, I, I, no, I, I, mean, I know I mean, of Icon. I mean, yeah, this I mean, is amazing. That was um, and, uh, probably probably one of the, the coolest people I've talked to. But uh, we got a very cool guest on right now as well. And I know we are a little little bit strained for time because we have another guest after him. So uh, I will put them through on the switchboard and let you uh, let you do your thing here, ladies and gentlemen. Stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle, our combatant number two of the night. He brings to the ring chaos, and it's nothing but purity. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. Chaos himself, Chris Chaos. Hey, buddy, how are you? Hey, how's it going? This is Chris Chaos. You're listening to Attitude Era Live with the host, the icon, the big swing, and Granny Hulkster. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks now, for being uh, on. Now, let me ask you this. Did you ever think of wanting to hire your own personal ring announcer? Because I'm, I'm up for hire. Uh, no. Um, I kind of just roll with uh, whatever everyone's got. Kind of just do my own thing. But you got to admit, that was the best you've ever had so far, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely the best I've ever had so far. Awesome. Uh, Chris KS is our guest here. Uh, we have, um, well, we have uh, we have time with him. Uh, we have uh, 20 minutes here with him. 
So uh, what I'd like to do is after we introduce the guest, uh, we'd like them to give us a little background about themselves, and then we interview them. So if you want to go ahead and give us a little background about yourself, then we'll talk to you. All right. So uh, as you guys know, I'm Chris Chaos. I wrestle out of Minot, North Dakota. Um, been in the business almost two years now. Been actively competing for just under a year. I uh, started training under now Cloud9 Wrestling, but formerly known as Fully Loaded Wrestling. Uh, main people who train me are Mr. Incredible and Mason Mayhem. Um, held uh, a Fargo Championship back when Fully Loaded was a thing, and now uh, with Cloud9 just starting up, I'm looking to uh, climb the ranks and uh, hopefully one day get a shot at that Cloud9 Heavyweight title. Um, competed in two countries. I competed in Canada with Danny Duggan's organization, CWE, Canadian Wrestling Elite, and I've competed uh, with AJ Sanchez and CWA, the Canadian Wrestling Alliance. Um, I've done brief stints in Minnesota for AWF and MAW as well. And, and as, you, as you know, every time uh, that you are in Fargo here, uh, you know that your number one fan, the icon, is always sitting in the corner, ringside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, I know. I see you Do you there. guys have plans to come back to Fargo anytime soon? Um, I'm not sure. Right now, we're primarily based out of Minot. Um, our next show, April 19th, we'll be running uh, in Minot again. And I believe we're running back in Minot on the 1st. So there'll be a lot of Minot shows. I know we uh, did a birth hold one just to kind of test the waters and see that crowd. But I do believe that there are plans to get back to Fargo sometime in the near future. Now, uh, are tickets still available for those shows? And if fans want yes, to tickets are still up, available oh. for. Yes, tickets are still available. If you go to uh, Cloud9 Wrestling on Facebook, the link will be there. It'll be the uh, Coronation. There's uh, AJ Sanchez, who won our Cloud9 Heavyweight Championship. It'll be his quote-unquote coronation. He'll be taking on the Canadian Hercules Tyler Colton in his first title defense. But, uh, yeah, tickets can be purchased through Cloud9 Wrestling on Facebook. Now, uh, are you familiar with a guy by the name of uh, Sylvester Fox? <laughs> I'm very familiar with Sylvester J. Fox. I actually uh, took the Fargo title from Sylvester J. Fox. And I was there for that. Yes, you were. And uh, I, uh, if you remember, uh, when he, he was coming behind you, let's paint the picture. He was coming behind you with his golf club. He was going to cheap, cheap shot you, and I said, look out, chaos! And then you turned around <laughs> and you slapped him. Uh, yeah, I think it was something like that. I actually got uh, cheap shotted, uh, almost got cheap shot by him, and I got tossed through the second rope by Riley Jackson, which didn't eliminate me from the Battle Royal. And then uh, – when Rod Jackson ended up getting himself up, uh, Sylvester J. Fox got a little too cocky and celebrated early, and Chris Chaos snuck back in the ring, dumped him out for the win. Pulled a, uh, you pulled a Shawn Michaels over the British Bulldog. Yes, I did. But, uh, and that was awesome, and I loved it too. I mean, hey, don't get me wrong. I can never say anything bad about Sylvester J. Fox, but, you know, I'll tell you what. He wouldn't let me uh, – if it wouldn't have been for my uh, girlfriend in the audience, I was going to jump the rail and I was going to take the title, but you got it first. So uh, I let yeah, you have I did. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, we it. You're too kind. We have uh, Chris Chaos here. We got 20 minutes here left with you. Now, I always ask, I'm going to ask you one other quick question, and we'll go around the room. Then I'll come back and ask you the tough questions. Uh, now, every wrestler that that we know always has a great finishing maneuver. What is your finishing maneuver called, 
what goes into it, and then we'll uh, see if one of us wants to uh, let you practice on this. So the finishing maneuver I use is called the spinal tap. It is actually a uh, an axe kick that uh, Mako Satomori used in the May Young Classic last year. I uh, kind of put a little modification on it, but it's basically I get the opponent down to one knee, uh, plant off their other knee, and do an axe kick right to the base of the neck. Uh, I think Big Swing would volunteer to take that. <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, there hasn't been anybody that's kicked out of the spinal tap yet, so... I was going to say, what makes you think I'd be a willing participant? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I'm the biggest Grandy, of all you guys. Granny and I are going to take it, so we're going to let you do it. <laughs> well, Gran- uh, Granny's got too many health problems to have something done that to me like that. I mean, i got a pacemaker, guys, so I can't. You know, that would be too dangerous for Granny to, to no, have that happen. No, no, I don't think no. a spinal tap goes well with a pacemaker. No, it doesn't. No, <laughs> now, now, Chris, when you wrestle, would you say that uh, you're a baby face, a heel, an in-betweeny, or are you what the crowd decides you're going to be that night? Uh, I primarily work baby face. Um, I'm not really uh, one of those violent, aggressive guys. I like to go in there and just, you know, be there for the fans. You know, anytime I'm, um, I step into a city, you know, I feel like I'm blessed to be performing in front of them, not the other way around. Like they're blessed to see me performing. So, you know, I'm real appreciative of the fans for letting me do what I love. And, you know, I just try to go out there and, you know, work for them essentially. So, yeah, I guess you would tell my me kind baby of guy, so. my kind of guy right there. Oh, chaos. That, that, leads into the next, that leads into the next thing. We have Chris chaos here. We have about, uh, 18 minutes left with Chris. Uh, Granny, what do you got for our guest, Chris Chaos? Well, first of all, he's definitely my kind of guy icon because, as you know, Granny does not like the heels. I can talk some pretty good smack to some heels, and I've talked some pretty good smack to Mr. Sylvester J. Fox on this program several times. So I kind of put old Mr. Fox in his place a few times. But that being said, um, have you ever thought of wrestling in other states, like, you know, around, you know, traveling around and wrestling in other states, if you ever had the opportunity? Uh, yes, definitely. Like I said, I've wrestled in two different promotions in Minnesota so far. Um, wrestled in two different provinces. Well, yeah, two different provinces in Canada. So it just depends on the opening and the ability to travel as far as me getting out there. But definitely, I'm open to anything. I mean, there's a lot of good promotions out here in the Midwest. Um, that I'd like to uh, go to, and there's definitely some promotions out on the East Coast where I'm from that I'd like to go to as well. So it's just all about the opportunity and the timing and, you know, have everything lined up for me to get out there. Well, the reason why I ask that question is because I have a very good friend over in Oklahoma that does independent wrestling shows for kids that have got cancer called Wrestling for a Cause. And if you ever got the opportunity to make it to Oklahoma – you know, uh, Wrestling Fair Cause has a Facebook page. I can get you in contact with the uh, founder and the promoter of Wrestling Fair Cause, and maybe you could come wrestle in Oklahoma sometime. Oh, I, I definitely would be up for that, you know, especially if, you know, Wrestling for a Cause, you, you know me, like I said, I'm uh, I'm there for the people, you know, and especially if, you know, you got a promotion like that, Chris Cass would love to be a part of it. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Chris Chaos is our guest here. Uh, uh, we have about 17 minutes here left. Uh, Big Swing, what do you got for our guest, Chris Chaos? 
Um, well, I had to turn the mic back on here, but um, sort of take us through your journey. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, a lot of a lot of wrestlers and superstars have somebody that they looked up to, somebody that they, you know, uh, um, sort of adored when they were a kid um, that they wanted to grow up to sort of be like. And then some people didn't watch wrestling at all, and they got into it from other avenues. But, I mean, sort of take us through it. What made you want to get into this field? What what made you decide that you were going to be a professional wrestler? And uh, sort of who was your inspiration, if anybody? Okay, well, I'll try not to give too much of your time because it's kind of a long story. But, uh, you know, I grew up in the uh, the Attitude Era. You know, I'm a 90s baby. So uh, watching Triple H, just watching how he moves and how he performs in the ring is what really captivated me when I was younger. Um stuck with it, and then right as I was, you know, kind of falling out of pro wrestling, my little brother got really big into it. We're, we have about a nine-year age gap, so professional wrestling really, like, bridged that age gap of our differences. You know, I was 15, he was eight, so, you know, didn't really have much in common other than professional wrestling. Um, stayed into it, you know, just to keep in touch with him, and I ended up having uh, a little boy, and, at the, you know, I had wrestling on, and he stayed with it, so, you know, wrestling you know, it was one of the big things that me and him have in common as well. And uh, I got stationed over in Turkey, and I got in touch with this guy, Rhett Giddens, and he wanted to be a professional wrestler. So we trained over there. There really weren't any gyms, but, we, you know, we kind of just stayed in shape, worked out, do what we could on our own. He ended up getting relocated to Florida, and he got real big in Florida, wrestled for numerous promotions down there. And then I got stationed in South Carolina, and my commander at the time wouldn't let me pursue my dream of being a professional wrestler. So I thought, you know, that was kind of the end of the line. You know, he got to go and pursue his dream, and then I was told I couldn't, so I kind of just put on the back burner. Fast forward to 2017, I get stationed out in Minot, North Dakota, and, you know, they had fully loaded wrestling out there. So I asked my commander if I could go ahead and start training for pro wrestling, and he gave me the go-ahead. So it was you know, it was, it was really great, you know, especially since, you know, I had so much time that I thought I'd lost and thought, you know, oh, well, being in the military, you know, I'd never get the chance to pursue wrestling and, you know, a little later than I wanted to, but I ended up getting the chance to do it and um, training with Mr. Incredible. He's got to be one of my biggest influences because he took me under his wing real quick, real early. At my first seminar, he grabbed me and said, hey, you know, you're going to follow me, you're going to train with me and just seeing his work, work ethic and just seeing, you know, his grind and then getting paired with Mason Mayhem a lot and just his mind for the business is incredible. Um, a lot of the physical stuff I got from Mr. Incredible, you know, a lot of my in-ring moves, a lot of, you know, my tenacity, but a lot of my smarts and a lot of my ring knowledge and psychology, I really credit to Mason Mayhem. They're both really good um, in their own aspects I and mean, both great performers, but, you know, Mason Mayhem's mind is, is genius. And like the Mr. Incredible just, his ability to move and perform in the ring. So I try to take those two and mash it into one. And, you know, you take something incredible and a little bit of mayhem and out comes chaos. So that's kind of the uh, the journey there in a nutshell. That's awesome. Now, one thing I always ask every one of our, our, our independent wrestlers, and uh, no one has ever answered the this question the same, so I'll put it to you. It's a two-part question. We all know that as a wrestler, the big dance is the WWE, and, you know, we know that you have the drive, and, you know, you'll eventually get there. Two-part question, is the WWE something that you'd want to do? Because when you get there, you know, they say you do this, you do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. As an independent wrestler, 
you control your own destiny, do what you want to do. That's part one. Part two is when you do get that big contract, uh, will you not big time us and still be our friend and still talk to us? Well, WWE is always the main goal. I mean, you know, when you look at it, you know, there are so many other really big companies. I mean, you got Ring of Honor, you got Impact, you got New Japan, and now you got AEW starting up. But WWE seems to always be the end game for everybody. So anything I do, you know, no matter what it is, my goal is to always make it to the top. My goal is to always be the best. So to say that I wouldn't want to be in the WWE is kind of just selling myself short, you know, you know, reach for the reach for the stars, you fall on the moon type deal. So uh, definitely the WWE would be where I would go. And, you know, I wouldn't forget anybody uh, coming up. You know, if I ever made it up there, you know, I'd still give credit to Mr. Incredible and Mason Mayhem for training me, and, you know, early in my career, you know, the icon for giving me my first big radio interview. Um, you know, uh, Donnie Dahl, even though he isn't an owner at all, but, you know, he's the one who gave me my first big break in the business. So I would definitely – still remember everybody that helped me along the way because if you don't remember and appreciate everybody who got you along the way, you know, what type of person are you in that aspect? You know, nobody does anything on their own. You always need some help. So I definitely wouldn't forget anybody. That's awesome. Uh, Chris KS is our guest here. We have 11 minutes here left with Chris. Question I have now with your, uh, with your tenure in the business, you know, you mentioned you've been in it two years and you, you've been to a few different locations and you won a few different titles. Do you have any title shots coming up in the near future that uh, you know about? Uh, unfortunately, I do not. Um, we just uh, debuted Cloud Nine in Minot, North Dakota. Um, I had my debut match against Jack Ledger. I uh, came up, unfortunately, a little bit short in that one. So, climbing back up there. Um, Cloud Nine is really where I do most of my work and will continue most of my work because, you know, they're based out of Minot. Um, They've got a lot of talent they're bringing in there, a real lot of talent. So it's a lot of competition. So getting a title shot there is, is my main goal right now. But there's a long list of competitors. Like I said, we have A.J. Sanchez at the top. He's a Cloud9 wrestling champion. Um, Tyler Colton, the Canadian Hercules, Buckshot Bobby Brennan, Duke Cornell, uh, Joey Anderson, Mason Mayhem, Josh Price. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And there's more superstars coming in soon, like uh, Rich Maxwell's making his debut there. Uh, April 19th as well. So, you know, the pool keeps getting a little bit more crowded. So but that is that is the end goal is, you know, Cloud9 Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. So is the uh, is the uh, Fargo title now defunct now that it's no longer uh, 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 fully loaded? Yes, right now Cloud9 Wrestling only has the heavyweight title. Um, I know there are plans to bring in more titles. I know they're talking about a mid-level title, maybe, you know, like a North American type championship or United States championship. And I know there's definitely talks of some tag team belts because you have uh, Bobby Brennan and Jack Ledger, friend or foe. You have uh, Rich, Mac- Rich Maxwell and Duke Cornell, two members of the Snake Pit. Um, you know, there's a lot of tag teams building it up. I know they're, you know, if they ever need me and Mason Mayhem could always step in and be a tag team. So, I know that there's definitely plans on bringing more belts in, but as of right now, Cloud9 is only running their heavyweight title. And, you know, you mentioned tag team wrestling. Is tag team wrestling something that you want to continue to do, or do you prefer to stay single? Uh, I'll do either or. I mean, you know, I really don't have a, say to say, preference. Um, 
I wrestled my, actually my very first match I ever did was an eight-man tag team match. So, uh, and that's the only tag team match I've done, actually. So I don't have much experience in the tag team game, but me and Mason Mayhem have trained a lot together. So I know if we ever, you know, if we ever got a shot to be attacked and we ever got a shot to do it, I know we both would, you know, jump at it. But you know, like I said, it's either or, you know, I'm very flexible. If Todd Nye wants me to continue as a single superstar, by all means, you know, that's what I'm going to do. If tag team opportunity opens up, I mean, if any door ever opens, you know, I'm not just going to walk by, you know, I'm going to bust through it and do the best I can. So tag team singles wrestling, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm here for it all. Now, do you think you can hook us up with your partner to be on the show? Uh, yeah, you know, I can reach out to him and talk to him. You know, I got the Icons contact info, so I can definitely shoot it over to him. Speaking of the Icons contact info, uh, we are, you know, we got a big December uh, Christmas show coming up. Uh, it, you know, <laughs> I, I know it's, uh, you know, we're in April. It's tax day today, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Christmas will be here before we know it. And I do want to thank you for the shirts uh, that you oh, said no that we're going to give away in December. Oh, no problem. That's awesome. So we have Chris Chaos here with us. We have um, about eight minutes left. Uh, if our fans wanted to check you out and see what you're all about, what makes you tick, you got a Facebook, an Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. What do you got? So right now I'm, I'm only doing uh, YouTube right now. I haven't really built an official Chris Chaos fan page yet. I'm a little slack on that. I'm not too social media savvy, but if you go on to uh, YouTube, there are several more matches on there. There's uh, my latest match through Cloud9 Wrestling. If you YouTube Cloud9 Wrestling, it's episode two. It's me versus Jack Ledger, and that's probably the best match I've had in my career to date. You know, it was a really phenomenal match. Um, you know, there's uh, you just search Chris Chaos. You can find me and uh, Bobby Brennan out in MAW. You can find my triple threat with Piranha and Chaz Anthony from Fully Loaded, which is the last time uh, – I competed in, I guess you would say, singles action prior to the company folding. Um, so there's plenty of matches on YouTube. You guys can go find if you just search uh, for Chris Chaos. And if our fans uh, were to come and see you, you know, you, you already mentioned it, but uh, we'll let you plug it again when your next event is, where it's at, and how fans can get tickets. So I will not be at the next event. Uh, I'm currently on leave with family right now, uh, taking a little bit of downtime. But the next event will be in Minot called the Coronation. It is April 19th, Minot, North Dakota. If you go to Cloud9 Wrestling on Facebook, they'll have their link to purchase tickets. However, the next time Chris Chaos will be in action will be June 1st in Minot, Cloud9's next event. So Chris Chaos will be in action uh, Opponent yet to be named, but it'll be June 1st in Minot. You know, and this is not a a diss to our Canadian fans, but, uh, you know, I used to work at a truck stop here in Fargo, and we used to have a lot of uh, Canadian truck drivers come through, and uh, they always used to pronounce it Minot. Minot. (laughs) Yeah. They, yeah. You know, because I'd ask them, where where you come from? They said, well, we, I just uh, had a long haul the other part of the state. I, uh, I said, yeah, I just dropped off a load in Minot. I said, Minot, where's that? Oh, it's the other end. Oh, you mean Minot. Oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> but, yeah, I always thought that was funny how they pronounced it, Minot. You know? Yeah, they, they like pronounce a lot of things uh, weird in Canada. Well, well it, was, it, was, it was weird for me, too, coming from uh, coming from New York when I came out to visit Icon and um, – 
you know, when I, you know, I land and it was like, you know, welcome to Fargo. You know what I'm saying? Everything was like, it, it's just, it, it's a very, the, that whole state is very Canadian sounding, at least to me being from New York. So um, I, I'm not surprised they say my not, or my note rather, excuse me. I'm not surprised no, they no, say that because no. it's just, yeah, I'm not surprised they say that just because like I said, I, I landed, they were like, welcome to Fargo. I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, I didn't know what the hell to say. So I'm, I, I'm not surprised at all that they pronounce it. How far is that from you, Icon? If you wanted to go see him uh, at a, at a Minot show uh, in June, uh, how, how far well, like how far of a drive? Well, that's a good four and a half, five hours for me. Yep. Oh, wow. It's that far, huh? Well, yeah, because, you know, it's past the Capitol and uh, – uh, Minot is also known for uh, holding a lot of basketball tournaments as well. They got a great mm-hmm. basketball arena out there at the uh, at the Civic Center, I do believe. Yep, they do. So, with that being said, Chris Chaos here. We got three minutes left with. Uh, with your uh, upcoming events, you know, you mentioned that you have, uh, you know, you're, you're taking a break. Uh, do, you, do you plan on uh, going full bore and getting booked as many times as you can when you're back full status? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the plan. I mean, I'm going to try to, you know, fill up as much weekends as I can and just uh, go from there. I mean, I'm already going to re-reach out to some of my Minnesota contacts and see if they could use me back. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I do a lot of traveling with the Minot crew, uh, Bobby Brennan and Jack Ledger, Mr. Incredible, Mason Mayhem. They're all based out of Minot. So anytime we, uh, one of us can try to get a booking, you know, we always try to plug and get one of the, uh, one of the other boys on. So, you know, I'm going to keep in touch with them and keep moving. And, you know, if I get something, I'll try to get them moving as well. But yeah, that is the plan when I, when I uh, get done with this little mini vacation I got here is to uh, try to fill up as many days as I can with the professional wrestling. You know, and also let, uh, you know, the head promoter know that, uh, you know, when he has uh, upcoming shows, we'd love to run commercials for him and uh, promote him. So uh, we want to try and get him on. So pass my contact information to him. We'll get him on and uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure we get a we get a sellout crowd for you. And uh, the next time you're in Fargo, you know how to you know how to get a hold of me through Facebook Messenger. I want you to let me know and I will uh, I will be there cheering you on. And if you decide to uh, want your own personal ring announcer, I'm there for you, bud. All right. I appreciate it there, Icon. Awesome. Uh, Chris Chaos is our guest, and uh, we have about a minute left. Uh, Before we uh, let you get back to your training and your vacation, uh, what do you want to tell our fans out there before uh, we end the show with you? Basically, one thing I want to say is if you ever have a goal or anything that you want to achieve, don't ever think it's ever too late. You know, I went through about a seven-year gap where I didn't get a chance to pursue the goal of professional wrestling. It wasn't until 27 when I was able to, you know, get my big break. So don't ever think it's not too late to chase what you believe in or chase a dream that you have. Um, age is a number. You know, like I said, I'm 27 years old, and, you know, I get in there with 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, and I keep up with them just the best. So biggest thing I can say is if you have a goal, don't ever give up on it. Awesome. Well, well thank you, Chris. It's 
been awesome, and uh, can't wait to have you on again. And uh, any of your buddies that are on the promotion and want to get on, pass my information, I'll get them on. All right, I will do. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. All right, you guys have a good one. You too, Granny. You as well. Chaos, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Bring in chaos to us this Monday night. So our, our next guest should be calling in shortly if they're not on already. They're not on already, but we do have our due diligence we have to do here, so... match against Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre and Boring Corbin. Uh, you know, I don't know I don't know who hates who more. I don't know if Granny hates Baron Corbin more or if Icon hates Kevin Owens more. I really can't decide. I think I, I think I think uh, Icon hates Kevin Owens more, but I just I'm not a big fan of Boring Corbin. I never have been. You know, yeah, I think it might be kind of funny if we if we were able to get Granny somehow through connections or however we were able to do it. If we hey, were guys, able to get I Granny, guys, I gotta call our guest. Just hang on, I'll be I'll be back with you. Okay, one sec. Okay. Okay. If we were able to get Granny ringside seats to let's say a Monday Night Raw, or who knows, he might end up on SmackDown. I guess we'll find out tomorrow night. But if we were able to get a ringside seat to a WWE event. I would love to hear and see some of the reactions and some of the things that Granny would have to say live in person to Barrett Corbin if she got the chance. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> oh, that Wouldn't would that be, be amazing. amazing. That would that would be amazing. Yeah, I, I think that um, would, that would I think that would be the highlight of the show. Honestly, I mean, I think you so know, too. I, <laughs> I'd have to stop and think of really what I would want to say to him, but yeah, I'm sure I could. I'm sure Granny could probably come up with something really, really well. So, I mean, if I, I wouldn't probably at this point the way okay, WWE guys, is. Guys, 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 guys I, I got our guest, so I'm going to introduce him and we'll get to the interview. Okay. Okay, let's okay, go yeah. for it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle, he is the greatest character actor in the history of Hollywood. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the man, the legend. He is Larry Hinton. Hey, Larry, how are you? Who? Larry, Larry, who? Larry, uh, oh, okay. How can I follow that? How can anybody <laughs> follow that? Yeah, there's well, no way. I'm dead at the start. Okay, now I can be anything. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what. Uh, Hi, you guys. Uh, I gave Hi. you a script. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and take care of that now, and then we'll. Oh yeah, it. cool. Go ahead. Ready? Okay. Wait a minute. Where? Okay. Okay. Now hold it. Just, 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 just one second. Um, and there you go. Okay. Because hey, 
This is Larry Hankin, and this is the Attitude Era live with the host, the icon, the big swing, and Granny Hulkster. Awesome. Amazing. Now, uh, Amazing. I want to give a little Amazing. background uh, of my uh, of my favorite roles of yours, and then uh, we'll talk about them if cool if we can. Okay, first cool. off, I loved you in Armed and Dangerous. Cool. Yeah. And I will. Oh, always, by the way, I, I just want to say one thing about the introduction. It does apply only if you've seen the movies <laughs> or the shows. Other than that, <laughs> okay, you know. I'm, I'm just all right, but uh, okay. And, and what, what was it? Which uh, was it? What was the the, the the show we were just talking about? Uh, well, Armed and Dangerous. Oh, Armed and Dangerous. I, I loved you in that. Uh, I also loved Ooh. you in uh, um, Escape from Alcatraz. I'm going to ask you about that. Another cool. One. And probably oh, my all-time favorite, you as the cab driver in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a whole story behind that one uh, too. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, they're all because <laughs> I, I'm really not an actor, uh, so that's why uh, it, it just blows my mind. I, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm a satirist. You know, I'm you know like Second City and stand-up. So I, I make a living at acting, but it's not in my head that that's what I am. I'm, I'm a stand-up comic. So it just all blows my mind. So when I go on these sets, like like Alcatraz and stuff. I'm like a stand-up comic among actors. Is my is my take on it. And there's, I don't belong here. I'm you know, I'm just passing through. These guys know what they're doing. I'm just I'm a I'm a pretender. So I'm I'm just as awed by being in Alcatraz as you are wanting to find out about it. You know? It's that kind of it, that's how I go into all these things. Yeah, it still blows my mind. It really does. Uh, uh, Larry Hankin is our guest. We have 40 minutes here with you, and uh, right now cool. uh, the downloads are blowing up online. People are just filing in to hear you talk. So, oh, uh, cool. cool. Uh, we also have some questions from our fans, but our, the first movie that we want to talk about, because uh, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, I know you got a big story about that, but i got to ask yeah. you about Escape from Alcatraz. First off, yeah. did you actually go to Alcatraz and what was it like being oh, yeah. uh, in the cell next to Clint Eastwood? <laughs> okay, so that that that's that's a reaction that we we got. Um, so the, the the great thing about it is that yeah, we shot on Alcatraz, and that's like a national monument in in a way. And and you know the Indians were you know took over that. So that has a lot of vibes to it. So and every morning at a like. Seven o'clock in the morning, we would get on these boats, and, and all the cast and crew and everybody and, and machines and cameras and we'd get on these these uh, it was like a landing barge almost, and we would attack at the Alcatraz at like seven o'clock in the morning and go across the bay. So that was kind of cool uh, for for a couple of days, and it kind of wore off. But but that was kind of exciting. So but then when we got there. Um, because we that was all extras. I mean, in the movie, that was all extras. They had to be shipped there and back sometimes every night. They didn't stay there. So it was like that was kind of... But once you got there, um, it was not like any movie sets that I had ever been on because, first of all, it was real. It, you know. And second of all, that's the National Monument. So we've got tours coming through there. So they have, like, 
you know, Smokey the Bear guys, you know, walking through with, with people from Omaha, uh, wanting to know where, uh, you know, all the bad guys were, uh, where uh, Al Capone was and stuff like that. And the only way they could use that as a shooting location for Alcatraz, and because it was Clint Eastwood and Warner Brothers, they had to sign a contract that said that if a tour came through where we were shooting, because we used all real locations, we had to stop shooting to let the tour through. So that was one thing, because in the middle of the scene, whatever the scene was, we had to just stop. And you know, the guy had to yell, cut. And we had to, you know, make way and go back to camp and let them walk through. And they were amazed to see, you know, Clint Eastwood there. Or they started asking, oh, is this the movie that Clint Eastwood is on? Instead of looking for Al Capone's cell. So then the Smokey the Bears got really angry, which I don't blame them. It was their job to carry on the history of Alcatraz. And all, because uh, we were there like, I don't know, at least two months so all these tours started to come through and asking where Clint Eastwood's cell was. And they really got angry about that. So they would start aiming tours through wherever we were working. So that was a big fight between tours. You know, if, if we were even downstairs, you know, where there's, they would lead a tour right through. I mean, it was really, because uh, that was all they could do, but it, it, it kind of threw everything off a, a lot. But so that was the, the the other end of it, and then you know there there was this this my crying my big crying scene was a big deal that I don't know you want to hear about that or you know yeah about uh, uh, what, what, well, you, talk, what you, you know when I was left behind you know and and that was the only time where uh, you know I was starting to feel like uh, I'm a stand up comic I, I I don't know about this you know. Because, see, I was playing cards. Generally, when I wasn't, because we all had to stay on the island while we were there, from 7 to 8 o'clock when we landed until the boats went back at 7 o'clock or, or later. So you had to be on the island, and it's not set up for a movie. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a prison. So we played a lot of cards and chess and stuff like that, you know, past the time, because there was hundreds of guys on the, on this uh, actor standing. So I'm playing cards and all of a sudden everybody in the card game stops and they look up behind me. I look up and it's Don Siegel, the, the director. And he goes, what are you doing, Larry? And I go, I'm playing cards. You know, I'm, I'm not on set. I'm, I'm. He says, yeah, but you, you got your big scene in two hours. And I'm going, what, what scene? He said, you know, you're you're left behind. You you got to cry in that scene, you know. I go, I do. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't. Know you, but I mean, I don't know what kind of actor you are, but you know, you, I thought you would, might want to get ready. And then he leaves. So all <laughs> the guys, you know, put down their cards, and I go, well, I guess I'm going to go back and, and 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 rehearse. I guess. So I leave the card game, and I go into my dressing room. I'm not an actor. I can't cry. I mean, what the hell was that? So I'm trying to think of what the hell. So I think of, oh, okay. I, so I, I walk out and I, I go over to Don and I go, Don Siegel, the director. Um, I can call him that when I'm there. But now. Uh, so I, I, I say, Don, um, Mr. Siegel, I, I don't think my character would cry in this scene. He goes, why? I see, well, because I, I made a, up a backstory. And the backstory doesn't have, he's not the kind of 
guy who would cry in this scene. And he calls over his secretary and he says, uh, hey, uh, it was uh, Carol. She's about, you know, 28, 29. She's a secretary, a script girl. Come over here. Come over here. He says, Larry, I want you to, this is Carol, this is my assistant. I want you to tell her what you just told me. So she doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't know what he's talking about. So I turned to her and I go, well, my character, I wouldn't cry in this scene. He's got a backstory, blah, 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 blah. I, I finish and she's got a puzzled look. She says, okay. And then he turns to her and then he goes, what the fuck is he talking about? And then he looks at me and he goes, he draws this big arc in the sky, like a rainbow. He draws this big arc in the, well, in the ceiling. It's Alcatraz. And the ceiling. And he goes, I got this big movie, Larry. I got this big, huge movie. And there's all guys in it. It's all testosterone. I need some other kind of emotion. I don't know right about here. And he points about three quarters of the way down the rainbow on the ceiling. And he goes, so right about here, Larry, he's pointing in the air. I need an emotion. Guess whose scene that is, Larry? And he goes, you got to cry. You got about a half hour. I go into your dressing room and stop yourself. And then he walks away. Mm-hmm. So I go into my dressing room. I'm trying to stop myself. Nothing, man. I, so I just thought, okay, I'm going to be fired. Okay. I've seen one guy get fired about two weeks before, so I knew it does happen. So I walk in. Oh, by the way, the other bad thing was I had to cut off all my hair because it was prison. That was the other bad thing. Anyway, I go in. So I walk on the set, and he goes, are you ready? And I go, yeah. He says, okay, and then he puts the camera, if you look at the the film, the camera is like four inches from my face. It's like a choker. And he's got the camera right in my face. And he goes, okay, you ready to cry? I go, yeah. And he goes, okay, ready? And action, Larry, go. And I go, uh, um, uh, 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 uh. I can't cry. You know, I'm just like pretending. And it's not working. I know it's not working. And he yells, cut. He goes, he says, uh, hey, George, come over here. Come over here. Come on, get George in here. So George comes in, this big, heavy uh, crew guy, uh, and he's got this uh, bottle of wintergreen with a perfume sprayer on the end of it. He just sprays it in my face, and tears start pouring down my face, and he goes, roll it, action. And you just stay there, Larry. That's really cool. He's saying off camera. And then he goes, cut. And he goes, that's great, Larry. Thank you very much. And he walks away. So in other words, the entire afternoon, he was putting me on there. <laughs> he had the winter green there the entire time. I mean, well, you know, so, uh, little things like that. You know, Larry, an easier way to make you cry was he could have said he was going to dock your pay. Right. Well, you know, the classic one was your dog died. That that, that was used. That's like a classic one uh, for, uh, I don't know, that's like a kid movie. A kid wouldn't cry. So the director said, your dog just died. Make the kid cry. They roll the camera. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. He could have also kicked me really hard. <laughs> Whatever, you know. But that was the way he, he chose to know what was going to happen. And, by the way, just to say, that entire film, although it was a great, I mean, it was great work with those people and, 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 and Eastwood, and, and, but mainly Don Siegel. He, he's a great director, man, and so he, he taught me a lot. Um, but... He would put me on the entire time. I mean, I was there for three months, and I would get that stuff every day. But then he would, he would, he would tell me, say, "Listen, that's how we made movies in the fifties." He would, you know, um, like for instance, there's that scene where we pass the, uh, the, the we're going to break out the next day. So the only time we can talk together is when we watch a movie. So there's a scene in the movie where we're all sitting, and the camera is just panning down. 
as we say, it's tonight, it's tonight, it's tonight, it's tonight. And and so we had, and they do have a movie thing in, in Alcatraz, you know, for the, for the prisoners. So we're in the movie theater, and he, he comes up to us and he says to all of us, I'm sitting next to Eastwood. So he says to all of us, there's about 15 of us lined up. And he says, okay, the camera's going to pan down. So you just pass the word as the camera comes, but we're going to play a movie just so everybody is looking at the same thing when the camera comes, comes by. So there's going to be a movie playing. There won't be any sound. So, you know, don't, don't, don't let, let that throw you, okay? So we go, yeah, fine. Clinton says, yeah, fine, that's cool. You know, okay. So he goes, okay, rolling and action, roll the movie and camera and action. And the camera starts coming down. And the movie he's got showing is the filthiest pornographic movie I've ever seen. It was so <laughs> cool. It was amazing. And guys are trying to like keep us. So during that, and he only did one take, so that's it. So in the movie, when you watch it, what we're watching is some cool porn, man. <laughs> it's amazing. So you uh, have things like that happen, you know, uh, that uh, you don't know about. Larry, yeah, we got a, We got about 28 minutes here left. Now, uh, we all know that you were uh, John Hughes's favorite uh, character actor. So we, you have to tell us about uh, being in planes, trains, and automobiles and being – the coolest cab driver in the history of Hollywood. Tell us. Cool. Okay. Okay. Well, here's, here's a, there's a yin and yang to what you just said. So I'll give you both, both sides of it. So I, w- I was hired to, to, to do that. And I did the cab driver. It, w- it was really cool. And I, and I guess he liked it too, because it was, well, we don't have time for this, but at another time on another shoot day to, to shoot the interior of the cab, we shot what you saw, the interior of the cab and what we're talking about. And But he liked it so much because it was in a, an airplane hangar. That that was not – that was all CG, the, the, everything going by. In the cab, we were in a hangar. And there was guys shaking the cab because it was not on wheels. It was on springs. So it, it was just – okay. But anyway, that was that was cool. But he liked it so much – that he kept the crew there for the rest of the day. We shot that in the morning. We shot until five. And he shot a 20-minute film, which nobody has ever seen except people at a party at New Year's Eve. He showed it, and Christopher Columbus, the director, told me that he saw it, and it was really funny. But I had never seen it. So that's a sidebar that I have, I have no thing. Okay, so that's the good part. He liked it so much, me doing that cab driver and us improvising. He improvised a 20-minute movie later the, 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 in the afternoon. He liked it so much that he invited me to go into the – when they check in, when uh, uh, John Candy and Steve check into the, into the motel at the check-in desk, in the movie, I'm not there. But when they shot the scene, he, John wanted me in the scene. So he said, Larry, get in the scene. I thought, oh, cool, man. He likes me so much. I'm going to have another scene with the guys. So I'm in there. He does about five different takes, and then he goes, okay, Larry, get out of the scene. <laughs> so there's your yin and yang, you know? It's uh, get out of the scenes. So, all right, it's a leveler. It's, uh, you know, but he's very strict, man. John Hughes is the, one of the strictest directors I've uh, ever been around. I mean, uh, well... I don't know. 
there's other ones, but but I mean, he really had in mind what he wanted, and and he would keep doing it until he he, he got it. Uh, there was, uh, I guess, other directors have done that, but not not with me. Um, but but he was really cool. And here's a thing about John Hughes: he was an incredible multitasker. He was also very moody, but he was incredible. One day I I was invited in for custom fitting. So generally you put on three or four costumes, you know, and he looks at it and he goes, yeah, great. You know, thank you. So I come in and he's in the costume room and he has costumes all over the place. It's like Western costumes. That's what they do. They have all these costumes and he's among these costumes and he's got a little typewriter, a real typewriter. And he's typing and he's, I said, what are you typing? He said, I'm typing my next screenplay. I go, Oh, and then he's talking to his wife who's standing there and his kid who doesn't want to be there. And he's keeping on saying, hey, dad, can I go? And he's saying, no, you've got to be here. You know, I'll drive you home in a little while. And then he's looking at me and he's saying, no, the hat's wrong, but give him another jacket to keep pants. And he's doing all these three, I don't know, four things at the same time. It just blew my mind. And his next, next movie, I don't know, was, was a big hit too. I, I don't remember what, but he was writing it. While he was shooting, uh, you know that movie. Uh, so that that really amazed me. That was before multitasking was was in, I guess. Uh, so then, you know, but uh, I kind of, you know, he did invite me to be in another. Well, no, Christopher Columbus was directing that one. Um, what, what was the one uh, uh, when he was left? The kid was left at home. It shown every. Oh, Home Alone. Uh, Home Alone, yeah. yeah home were, home yeah. Alone. He, you know, he, he yeah, recommended you were, you were me just, to be in that. You were the you were the family crisis hotline guy. Yeah, yeah. Now that see, there's an interesting uh, little, little bit. I'll make this as fast as I can, but it, it just shows you where Hollywood is at all over the place. Okay, so Daniel Stern, who was going to be, you know, with Joe Pesci uh, for the the second one, um, uh, or, or something. I don't know. Somebody wasn't going to be in it. And he, they called me up, and my, my agent called me up and said, hey, listen, pack up your bags I think, and get ready to get on a flight. John Hughes' people just called. Daniel Stern is not going to be in the movie, or he's quitting, or Joe Pesci. I don't know, somebody, one of these big stars. And you're up for, the, for that. For, it's a co-star, not, not the lead. It's a co-star. And I'm up for it. But... but He's gonna. So he's kind of quick. They're arguing over money. They're gonna fire him. So you got to be on the set because they're gonna start reshooting. They've already shot a couple of days tomorrow morning. So you got to be on a plane tonight. So just get ready. But wait until you get a phone call because the deal isn't over. So I pack and I get ready and I'm sitting there because I gotta maybe get an eight o'clock immediate flight or nine o'clock or ten. Finally, about like five o'clock, he calls. He says, "Okay, the deal's off." I go, oh, nice. So, yeah, that's it. He goes, "Boom." So it's over. Big. So I go, "Okay, that's show business." God damn it, you know. It's, and I'm cursing myself, but okay, I get over it. You get over it because it's show business, you know. Okay. About three months later, my my agent calls me and says, "Hey, Christopher Columbus is." People just called, and he's shooting John Hughes' next movie. You're, uh, he's having a baby, and he he um, he heard about you being in. Oh, oh, 
Daniel, I, yeah, he heard about you getting fired from that, and they called and they said, get Larry in your movie. We're really sorry about that. You know, and we, we're grieving about that. So whatever, I don't know which way it went, but the final thing was I got into, oh, with the, with the, with the glazed donut falling on the, the phone. That's what I'm getting Right, at. I remember it's that. that yeah. part. That part in that movie. They called me about, and they said, look, because you weren't in the Daniel Stern thing, in the second one, we're going to fly you in and just do five lines. And we're going to fly you in on first class, limo in, limo out, limo back, first class. We're going to pay you $10,000. You're going to sleep in your own bed the same day. Will you do it, please? And I said, sure, man. So that's what they did. About five days later, a limo picked me up from first class. I, I got, I, they said on the phone, they said, do you need anything? I said, well, I thought, you're on the phone. You know, do you need anything? I said, a costume. He said, we got that. I said, yeah, I want to eat a donut. He goes, great. So when I showed up, they had uh, over 100 donuts. You know, in those bakery things that they slide around with all the Glazed donuts right. on it, you know, on the tray. Well, they had every tray filled with donuts. They had like, you know, I don't know, 100, 500 donuts, whatever was on those trays. So they had that right next to my shot. Now, okay, so I did the first shot and I ate the donut and that was fine. But, they, but every time they had to do it over. But every time they did it over, there was a technical thing. The dolly, it's a dolly shot. It's a cross dolly. They, they dolly across me. And the camera wouldn't work, the alley wouldn't work. So they must have shot it 10 different times. A light blue one time. I remember it was like crazy, and they kept on apologizing to me because I had to eat all these donuts, and every shot a new donut. And then finally on the last, yeah, so I ate about like 10 or 15 donuts, and I'm just getting, you know. So the, so they, but they said, we got to get the shot right, you know. I mean, because it was a technical thing. It wasn't my fault. So finally they, they did it on the on, and, and it worked. The first time it worked. And as soon as the guy yelled, cut, the entire crew fell apart. And I, and I go, what, 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 what? And they said, come here, we want to show. And they, they showed me on playback. And I didn't know it. But on the first time that everything worked together, that piece of donut fell. And it had been under the hot lights for so long on the set next to the camera. Or next to me, actually that the glaze started to melt and when it broke off, it dropped out of my mouth, the, the honey or whatever the glaze was stuck to the phone. So that was just so they said, we're going to keep that one. And that gets a big laugh every time, but it was totally unplanned. And then I got $10,000 or some, some uh, percentage of that every time that movie is shown. And every Christmas, that movie is shown, I don't know how many times. It's amazing. <laughs> and just because the guys on one film felt so bad about me not getting a part that they gave me five lines. <laughs> That's like show business, man. That's, you know, uh, I didn't get that, but I got this, you know. Wow. Uh, Larry Hanks is our guest up. here. Uh, we have about, uh, well, about 18 minutes here, give or take, before they uh, tell, they kick us out of the studio. But uh, we're going to kind of go around the room here, Larry, a little bit. Uh, Granny, what do you got for our guest, Larry Hankin, the best, the greatest character actor in the history of Hollywood? What oh, man. 
<laughs> well, I I tell you, I've just been thoroughly enjoying listening to these stories, and the questions wow. that I had have already been kind of asked. So I'm just I'm gonna Big Swing. What do you got? Because I'm just enjoying listening to him talk. I mean, these are just, these stories are amazing. I mean, you know, really, really, it's the same. Um, you know, most of the time we're used to talking to wrestlers and stuff. So, um, you know, most of the questions I have prepared go towards that, uh, that avenue. But, I mean, I guess, um, oh, boy, I mean, there's just so many that I mean, you could ask. Really, really. You know, I'll, I'll answer any question. Well, I mean, how did you how did you decide you um you wanted to go the stand up comedy route? I mean, like basically, how did you get into what you got into? Well, in other words, I, I'm I, I'm an idler. I I I don't want to do anything. I never did. I never aspired to be anything. But I mean, you have to stay alive and stuff. So I went to college. For my, my my parents wanted me to go to college, so I went to college. You know, okay. So so in college, I met Carl Gottlieb the guy who wrote Jaws. But now, I didn't know that, but he wanted to be a writer. And we became best friends in college all the way through. I mean, we were just the best. And so when we graduated, when he graduated, I didn't want know still what I wanted to do. I was an industrial designer. I was a designer. So, uh, but I didn't want to do that. But, you know, I, I got good grades because I'm, I'm a good artist. I, I like to draw. But then when he graduated, graduated, he said, well, he's going to Greenwich Village to, to review some small-time newspaper, something like Greenwich, the, the, the Village Voice, but not the Village Voice, but something like that. So he's going to, so I said, why don't we be roommates and we'll move into the village? So I was always a funny guy in high school, you know, and so, I, you know, I went funniest in high school. So I said, okay, fine. But. I just had to, you know, wash dishes and, and, and sweep uh, the floor when uh, the bars closed at 2 in the morning. That's what I was, you know, paying half my rent by swabbing from, you know, like 2 in the morning till 6 or so. But, and stealing food because I was starving, man. So, so, but during the day, I had nothing to do. I, I slept a little, but I would go to the, uh, before I would go to work, I would hang out in the coffee houses and watch these stand-up comedians. On Monday nights, the open mic nights. And so I just fell into it. I said, I can do that. So I get up, and frankly, I was really bad. I couldn't do it at all. But for some reason, because I was funny in high school, I thought, I, I can do this. And I just stuck with it. And in about six months, I was opening for Woody Allen. You know, go figure, learning curve. I don't know. But I was. I was opening for Woody Allen. And from there... But I was doing stuff like Lenny Bruce. I was just, you know, doing stuff that I saw and doing cursing on stage and smoke and, and talking about weed and drugs and stuff. And, ooh, you know. So, um, I talk, but I was getting booed off the stage because that was in the, in the early, you know, late 70s, 60s. Hey, I know all about that, Larry. I know what it's like to get booed off the stage. Yeah. But but now it's okay. But then it was weird, so I had to do something else. So my 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 agent said, uh, Woody's manager actually told me, he said, hey, uh, why don't you become an actor? You know, go to Second City. So I did, and and from there I became an actor. So it's just, you know, from one to the other. He said, go to Second City. So I did, and and they 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 let me in. <laughs> who, who was uh, who was on Second City at the time you were there? Uh, McIntyre and Dixon, uh, uh, Dick Libertini, Richard Libertini, he was a big actor, you know. 
passed away. David Bettini, um, Severin Darden was there when I was there. Howard Off. No, no, not Howard Off. Uh, but he, he came through. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, um, I can't remember all their names. But uh, they were the, the, the ones before the, the ones we know now. You know, uh, uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May had, had left. They weren't there. But I was like the second or third generation from them, so that the vibe was still in the house. It was in Chicago, you know. We were in Chicago in the old theater, and Viola was teaching. You know, she's the originator with her her son Paul. So, so yeah, it was a great time to be in there. But the fact that I even got in, man, I mean, you know. And then we split up and went to the committee. That was in San Francisco. A couple of the people, and then from there we just came down to that because uh, Hollywood started to come up to watch the shows. We were that that famous by then. So then they started, you know, auditioning us and, and hiring us. And I was an actor. And then I got escaped from Alcatraz and then boom, I was an actor. I didn't have time and I was making a lot more money. But like once a year, I, I go off and do my stand-up. I do it every once a year now too. Uh, little monologues and plays and stuff. Not like the old days when I was just, you know, get up on stage and just talk about my day, you know, I, I can't do that anymore. My days are really boring. But back then, wow, you know. Well, uh, that's how so. do, do you think uh, being on this show gave you some new material? Well, always, always, man. I mean, you know, just talking talking about that stuff is, is I guess, you can you can understand how I was back in the in the day because instead of talking about the movies I was in, which I can bring to mind immediately because it's such a, a big deal to me. That just being on the street in Greenwich Village for a year and living in my car for a year in San Francisco, I was homeless for a year, and talking about those days immediate, that's exciting. That you could be a stand-up comedian with. That's what comedians do nowadays, you know. Bill Burr, you know. Larry, I have, uh, I, have, I have a couple jokes that you can use uh, for your... Oh, gee. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Watch well, out, Larry. <laughs> oh, my God. Who the hell cares? All right, Larry, here's the first one. Uh, oh, this, guy, he was standing by the, this guy was standing by the river. He was waving his toothbrush. People driving by said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm waiting for the crest. Um, wait a minute. I, yeah, I can't hear very well with this microphone, so you're going to have to wait a minute. I didn't hear the punchline, and that's the important thing. I hate to tell you to tell it again, but. You're going to have to. I didn't hear the punchline. Okay, I can do that. Okay, okay. there's a guy, right? He's standing by right. the river. He's waving his toothbrush. People walking right. by said, hey, dude, what are you doing? He said, I'm waiting for the crest. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that, uh, that might have been a joke, maybe. Maybe. In front of an audience and stuff. But no, it's more observ- observational. Think Seinfeld. Think Seinfeld. You know? Right. That's a joke. That's a joke. A very bad joke, I might add. But that is a joke, you know. But, but think Seinfeld, like observational. That's what I laugh at. I, in other words, I've been doing humor for so long. I used to go to this uh, called, um, this uh, delicatessen where all my, the real comedians, like the Milton Girls, the old timers, the, you know, the show business, the, you know, the, uh, those, uh, the tumblers, used to go when I was a kid. And I used to sit in the table, and these, these comedians, these real 
you know, the ones who were on the Ed Sullivan show, you know, Jack Carter, they would sit around this table and they would tell jokes and then they would tell the jokes better. In other words, one guy would tell a joke like that. And then the next guy would say, yeah, nobody would laugh. But the next guy would say, yeah, but you told it wrong. And then he would tell it, but just a little different or with a little punchline. And they would go all around the table. Now, every once in a while, one guy would tell the same, you know, sort of the same joke. Anyway, because I was a young kid, I would laugh. And they would look at me like, who the fuck is this kid? What is that all about? And until so finally I learned that what they would do is they would take two fingers, like a deeper victory sign, and they would like tapping on one finger, but they would tap with the two victory signs on the table like this. That meant that was funny. And sometimes they would say, that's funny. But nobody would ever laugh. I went for about three months with, with my manager at the time, because I was a kid. But, but I never saw those guys laugh. And then I stopped laughing, too, because it was under. So I've been around jokes for so long, man, that, you know, it really has to be something really funny, you know? I know, of course, you know, one of my one of my all time uh, comedic heroes. I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know him or not or heard of him, but Woody Woodbury. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Woody Woodbury, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he was an old timer. He was one of the you know the originals back in the day. Well, you know, not that I'm bragging, but I remember he was at this uh, gathering uh, that my dad was at, and uh, Woody Woodbury said to my father, "You know, that's one heck of a kid you got, you know." And uh, you know, I've I've loved Woody ever since. You know, I mean, not because he made that company, <laughs> but but you know, just because of who he is and. You know, he he told me one joke one time that uh, I can't take credit for because he told me it's so if it's bad you can blame him. But he said, uh, uh, you know, these uh, this married couple there at the nursing home, and she says, "Let's go upstairs and make love." And he says, "I don't think I can do both." <laughs> uh, Larry, Hanson, yeah, I guess. yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, we got we got about uh, we got about five minutes here left before they kick us out of suit here, Larry, but. Uh, you know, our fans that knew this was coming, uh, if I were to send you uh, uh, an address on uh, Facebook Messenger, do you think you could uh, uh, be able to send us a few autographed pictures for uh, giveaways for our big um, yeah, yeah, I tell you what, I, 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 I could, one, one or two. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to New Jersey for the Kill, the Killer Festival, an autograph thing. It's on the 21st, so I'm going to be signing autographs there. But, yeah, but here's the other thing. I just wrote a book. And I can't tell you the name of it. And I'm coming out in a big movie, which I can't tell you the name of. It's really weird. The two most exciting things that have happened to me so far, even with what I just told you, because I signed an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement. I can't talk about it either until they come out. But look for it, okay? The book. Well, will you, uh, when it comes when it when it comes out, will you come back on with us to talk about yes, it? Yes, please, because I'd love to talk about the movie. Because you're going to want to see it. This is a major movie that you're gonna kill to see. Not because and, I'm in it, but the movie is cool, and uh, and, 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 and and the book is great too. Well, maybe when the you know the book comes out, maybe you can send us an autographed copy of that with a couple of pictures. Yeah, sure, man, sure, sure. You know, uh, so that that June, the movie's coming out in June, and the book will come out maybe June or July. So we got plenty of time. But yeah, uh, sure. Well, you know, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, like I said, I you, you've been my hero for a long time, and I oh, have man. every, every single every single one of your movies on my wow. on my bookcase, especially Armed and Dangerous when you played the, the oh yeah, 
when you when you play the guy uh, guarding. Hey, you want to know something? Okay, quick, quick about that. Sure. The one thing about Armed and Dangerous that is great is that the entire time I was on that movie, the entire time, the director thought I was on acid. He thought they hired a guy on acid. That's crazy, man. He apologized to me two weeks after the movie was, was uh, released. He came up to me at a, at a screening, and he said, hey, man, I want to apologize. I didn't even know that. I just thought he was crazy. Because he kept talking to me funny. But it was uh, really weird. Okay, that's the story on that one. Uh, was, Larry Hank is our guest. Uh, real quick here, Larry. If our fans wanted to uh, uh, check you out, uh, do you got a Facebook, an Instagram? Or yeah, Facebook. What do you got? No, I, I got an, uh, Facebook. Uh, just Larry Hankin, you know, with, uh, on, on Facebook. Uh, just send, I, I, I got a lot of fans. But you, I mean, well, not a lot of fans, but I got fans. I'll, I'll you know, friend you. But just say hello. Or whatever. Yeah. But Larry Hankin on Facebook, that's the only thing I do, really. Awesome, Larry. I'll tell you what, man, we want to thank you very much. And real quick here, I just want to let our fans know who we got coming on next week, and then we'll go back to Larry. We got Freya the Slayer, we got uh, uh, Jenna Ruiz, and we have Bo Duke, John Snyder from the Dukes of Hazard, on with us next week. All right. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Larry, so far, I'm not taking anything away from our other guests, but so far you've been my biggest hero that we've had on so far oh, today. Oh, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. All, thank you, all, all of you. All four, all three, <laughs> and everybody else, man. All good. right. Thanks, Larry. You have a good night. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Larry. Bye. Bye. Thank I'm you, Larry. Bye, Big Swing, and bye, Granny Holster. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> Now, I, I know yeah. I, I bragged about this earlier, but, you know, here's the, here's the thing, guys. I mean, how many shows have guests as, as good as Larry? Nobody does. Nobody. Wow. Nobody. I love, doing, I love doing the – I love talking. See, that's the thing. I love I love talking. You know, that, Larry, that's the I'll only tell, thing. I'll tell you what. Uh, 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 you, you, you did give me your phone number. I do have it. Yeah, so right. I'm going to stay in contact with you. We are going to get Great. you back on definitely because we want to talk about cool. the movie. We want to talk about the book, and uh, oh yeah, yeah. The, the movie will be out. I can talk about both by then. That'll be cool. Awesome. And then, like I say, I, I sent you an address on uh, on Facebook. Uh, you know, send us what you can. We would appreciate okay. whatever you can send us. What is my, my snail mail? Snail mail or internet or what, by email? What, what, do you, what, what was the What's the address? I, I, I an email address or a snail mail address? I, I sent it on Facebook Messenger. <coughs> okay. No, no, but I mean, me to send to you. Right, right, what, right. Uh, by Facebook Messenger. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. You're one of the uh, you're one of the few that gave me the phone number that doesn't have a restraining order on me yet. <laughs> yeah, but but please. Don't don't give that to anybody, please. No, don't. no, I would I would I would never oh, do God, that, man. And, oh, okay, uh, cool. I, I just hope you won't be like uh, my relatives, uh, store my number in your phone and then say, have it come up. Do not answer this. You know, all my <laughs> no, 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 no. That's cool. Uh, okay, listen, I got to go because I'm, I'm, I'm uh, busy writing uh, writing something. So, all right, thanks, Larry. Gotcha. I'll see you guys, man. And I hope to see you. Stay in touch, okay? Thanks, Larry. Okay, bye, bye guys. Bye. Three big-time guests here today, and we got three big-time guests again next week. The number one wrestling, and you know what? At this point, all sorts of celebrities on the show, not just wrestlers. So I'm going to go as far as to say number one podcast, or number one interview podcast anyway. 
on the internet. This is Attitude Ever Live. We'll see you guys next week. Stay tuned for coverage of Tampa Bay Lightning. Hockey, right after this.